Welcome to today's message from Reach Community Church. We hope this message encourages and blesses you as we dive into God's Word. And now, for today's message. Morning, church. Morning. Uh, Merry Christmas. The, uh, you guys know that your pastor, uh, he has an alter ego that pops up in the mornings at 530. It's uh, pretty similar to what you see up here, actually, but a little bit more rugged and tough, I guess. I met uh, Pastor Heath uh, actually four or five, uh, maybe even six years ago. I came down and spent a little bit of time with him and shared about what we were doing. And um, I guess that morning he drank the Kool-Aid that I stuck in his coffee because a few months later you guys started supporting us. And I can't tell you how much we really appreciate it. Now, he did tell you that we got to spend some time together this summer. I, uh, my wife and I, um, my wife Casey is here with me this morning. She's got a little sleeping baby on her. Our screaming one's in the back. Uh, they, uh, this, uh, this summer we had a, a high-risk pregnancy that forced us to move close to Wilmington. And um, I had already started going to the F3 group uh, up where we live in Shalote. So I looked up and you guys had a lot to offer. Well, I got to start actually spending time with your pastor, okay? And um, the more that I got to know him, the more that I was concerned he needed our services. (laughs) Come on. No, amen. I mean, you can't be that happy all the time naturally. Hello? You guys know that he's got maybe getting them. No, of course. His most positive person, motivator by nature. I mean, he carried me through um, one of what I would consider some of the toughest times in my life. So I'm very endeared to him in a really special way. I'm excited to be here with you. And you guys should be excited, too, because I brought with me some of the most attractive people in Brunswick County. <laughs> and you will get to see them today. And maybe when they're on their way out, because right now you just get to see the back of their heads. Um, Today, we do have a story that we want to share, and then we're going to get into the word a little bit. But I hope just to give you a quick preface about who we are and what we do. We're called Christian Recovery Centers, and um, we've actually been in operation since November of 2010. And uh, one of the most beautiful things about this ministry is, is that it takes people from their lowest of lows and brings them out on a peak high by introducing them with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And if you think about what that means in their life, we go after this thing called total restoration. We might not be able to achieve it while they're with us, but we give them every tool and mechanism that they need to make it happen. Uh, Our four to six month residential treatment program. How many of you guys have ever heard of the Rose House before? Anybody in here come to the ribbon cutting for the Rose House? We have a few folks out there. Yeah. Oh. Dan and Brenda are here. Good morning, Dan and Brenda. They, uh, we had the most epic time at our Rose House Ribbon Cutting. This is a brand new 28-bed facility for women. Um, it's an I-1 commercial building, 10,000 square feet. It's the most beautiful place. Now is the additional extension to our already existing women's program. And my heart has set on this mission since I walked in the doors there as a resident in 2013. Um, wasn't the best of people. Right. Wasn't the nicest of people. But I'll tell you what, this ministry gave me the opportunity to intercept God in a few different ways. And it changed my life and it changed the trajectory of where I was headed. So today you are going to get to hear from someone named Sam. 
And Miss Sam's going to come up and share with you her version of her story. Would y'all make her feel welcome? Let me raise it up. Hi, guys. Can everybody hear me okay? Yeah? All right. My name is Sam, and I just wanted to thank you guys for having us and just taking a little bit of time to hear my story. So, get to the right page. All right. All my life, I felt like I was made to run away from God. And to be quite honest, I got really, really good at it. From a very young age, I remember being involved in the church, and I even gave my heart to Christ at the age of eight, sitting at my aunt's kitchen table. I grew up in a very strong Christian-based family. I went to church every Sunday and every Wednesday, and I even attended a private Christian school when I was in middle school. I was considered a pretty sheltered kid, honestly. In the summer of 2014, my parents decided to move us to a little town by the sea called Southport. The move happened so fast, I hardly remember any, having any time to be upset about it. My parents had bought a deli, and we moved into a condo right on the water, so my excitement outweighed any type of anxiety, as you can imagine. But things did get hard once school started up. It was my junior year when we moved, and also my first year back in a public school since sixth grade. Being the new kid was not easy at all. I hardly made any friends, and of course, when I did, they definitely weren't the best choice. There was something different about Southport than my hometown, and I noticed it right away, even at a young age. This was my first time noticing that the world outside the one that I lived in was a very, very broken world. But for some reason, I couldn't run from it. At first, I thought I just wanted to fit in, so I smoked weed for the first time at 16, not knowing that I would smoke it every day after that for eight years. I've dealt with anxiety for as long as I can remember, and the first day I smoked, I remember feeling normal, and my chest didn't feel like it had the weight of a million elephants on it. I remember being able to breathe for the first time in a very long time, and instantly I fell in love. I graduated high school a semester early in 2016, and I moved to Greensboro, North Carolina to go to cosmetology school. I was 17 at the time, had my own apartment to myself, and I was four hours away from everything that I knew. Long story short, I met and got involved with the wrong crowd, witnessed someone get shot twice in the ribs, and they passed away right in front of me. It wasn't long after this situation that I had been introduced to Xanax at the age of 18. And at that point, I was drinking too. I was doing anything to get the sound of those gunshots out of my head. And it wasn't long after that that I had moved back to Southport, got my cosmetology license, and I started my career. By the time I was 19, I thought I had met the love of my life, and I became pregnant with a precious baby boy. Avery James Brown blessed me by making his entrance on October 8, 2018. Things had turned around big time for me, and I was as motivated as ever so I could provide for my family. In May of 2020, I opened my own salon after COVID had lifted their restrictions. I worked six, sometimes seven days a week perfecting my craft. But what I didn't notice was that I was trading an addiction for another addiction. I became a workaholic, and while my business was very successful, I felt dead on the inside. My child's father had cheated on me continuously for four years that we had been together, and I always stayed because I didn't love myself enough to leave. The last straw was finding out that he cheated on me with my best friend, and this pushed me into the worst depression I had ever had. And on April 9th of 2021, I met fentanyl for the first time. I was 22 years old when I experienced my first accidental overdose. I'm now 24 years old, and I've overdosed four times. And it only took one year to pretty much lose everything. 
The day before my 24th birthday on August 29th of this year, I got into a really bad car accident that should have killed me and my son. I was going 90 miles an hour on a country road. I overcorrected, flipped my truck upside down. It was by God's grace that we both walked away from that wreck without a single scratch. What I didn't know is that same morning of my wreck, my mom had prayed to God asking to make me so sick that I would never use again. He answered her prayer. On August 30th, on my 24th birthday, I gave up. I did my application for the Rose House, and my first day here was September 2nd. The best decision I made that day was walking away from everything that I knew because I realized God knew better for me. Genesis 50:20 says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I can save the lives of many people. I was spared by God's grace, so I'll continue to work for his kingdom every day for the rest of my life. And I truly do thank the Rose House because they're giving me a life that I fought so hard to have myself. Everything that I lost and everything that I gave up was worth every bit of peace that I feel today. God bless. Thank you. Amen. Uh, we are overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our... Man, y'all read your Bible. Pastor, they read their Bible. They, uh, I, I love to be able to hear the stories from the perspective whenever they come in and we get the opportunity so many times to hear people that honestly will make your problems seem pretty insignificant. And um, sometimes it's interesting to feel grateful for that perspective, because at the same time, you understand that someone else has been through hardship in their life. But then doesn't it have a way of twisting your own view about the things that make you sour in your own day to day? Sometimes by comparison, we don't understand how good God's grace is in our life or even how fully it's acting until we get to measure ourselves sometimes by the troubles of someone else. And that's often a beautiful thing about your testimony. Thank you, Sam. It was beautiful. Uh, I was recently driving through Wilmington, and um, I was not really paying much attention. Have anyone ever gotten into the car, and you're driving, and then you get to where you're going, and you can't remember stopping for one red light? That was me that day, and kind of daydreaming a little bit, I guess, thinking up thoughts inside my head. And I noticed a homeless man who was panhandling on the side of the road, And uh, I usually don't have a general rule about these things. And I know that's interesting because I might be one of the people you expect to say, you know, don't give them anything. You know, you're going to enable them. I oftentimes find myself giving them something. What I had started doing years ago, whenever I first got a business card, was just handing them a business card. But then as an ex-panhandler myself, I figured out that's probably not the best way to get them to call you. So what I started doing, uh, very tactical, by the way, was wrapping up the business card in a $5 bill, right? Then it's like, ooh, $5, and then he's not sour when he sees the business card. You see what I'm saying? Okay, you can take that home with you. I actually started getting a lot better ROI on those things. Return on investment actually started to go up because I think they were happy about the $5 bill. So they didn't immediately look at the business card that says Josh Torverson. What a piece of crap. You know, I needed something better from him today. I, I pulled up on the fella and I did what I normally did. I checked to see if I had any cash on me. And, and I wrapped it up in a $5 bill and handed it out the window to him. And then 
the longest red light in the world, and I was the only car at it. So, you expect these things to be a quick exchange, is all I'm saying. You know what I'm saying? You don't expect it to open up in dialogue. So this was my first time where the person that I handed the $5 bill with the business card inside of it to had the opportunity to unwrap the business card and read it. And he looked at me. My window was still down. And and he said, Christian Recovery Centers, what's that going to do for me? I said, oh, nothing with an attitude like that. It won't. Amen. I started to get to actually talk to him, and I know longest stoplight in the world. It might have just been about 30 seconds, but it amazed me how quick he was ready to be skeptical of what I was offering to him. Uh, cynicism. Are there any cynics in the room? Wow. Then there's a, lot of, there's a few of you who are liars in here then. <laughs> I got, I'll go scroll through your Facebook page later and find out. Look. I got this thing in me, though, where I started to have this dialogue with this fella. And have you ever talked to someone immediately has pushback for anything that you might say? So he said, well, how, you know, tell me about the program. How does it work? What are you going to do for me? All these things. So you know what I got down to the roots of? I said, man, you, you don't have to believe anything I'm telling you. Don't, don't believe a single word of it. But if I showed you somebody, like if I rolled out the carpet... And threw a few stories out in front of you. Or what about this, man? What about this? And I rolled up my sleeve. I went just like this. I said, you see these? I said, I was horribly, horribly addicted to heroin. Look. Look at my arm. You got any of those things on you? They don't go away easy, guys. They don't. The scars, they still stay there. I said, you see the truck that I get to sit in today? Here, let me show, let me show you this picture real quick. Let me show, I scrolled over. I said, let me show you this picture real quick of my wife and my babies. I said, bro, you don't have to be skeptical because guys like me shouldn't be allowed to live the life that I get to live today. I said, does that help you with your cynicism at all? Well, at this point, he could tell he got more than what he bargained for. <laughs> End of discussion. Boom. Right? I lowered him up. See, this is the thing, though. The cynicism often keeps us from what God has for us. When we enter into situations, and sometimes church folks are the worst for this, that we will go into things that we believe that God might be capable of doing, but He's not really capable of doing them for me. Hello? We will stand in the church on many Sundays and clap for praise reports that will fall up on the screen where somebody got the healing that they came for. Somebody found restoration inside of their families. Somebody was able to make great movements inside of their financial situation. And then we will sit there believing for other people and doubting for ourselves. Wow. Talk about the cynicism. Even worse when your cynicism leads to disbelief. It's a concept that I've often often called contempt prior to investigation. Hello? Uh, you posture yourself against something before you actually understand the full scope of the possibilities of it. I'm telling you that I'm the victim of that mentality more times than I'd like to admit. So one of the best things that I've found inside of my life were a few well-pointed people who can put new perspectives in my day. Um, People who maybe without even trying can help suck that thing out of me to creep in belief where disbelief has started to sink its heels. If you don't have those people, 
I suggest that you find them. Your pastor is one of those people. He has this tendency to suck it out of you. Just pull it from you. I want to show you guys something today in the Word. We're going to be in Mark chapter 2, if you'll turn there with me in your Bibles. And I hope to be able to lay the groundwork or set some kind of track record for you to be able to actually see a situation of where Jesus dealt with some of the more cynical people. Uh, Jesus was definitely our uh, most sought-after role model that you've ever seen inside of the Word. And uh, He definitely hit you with some high-hanging fruit of what you want to be like. And I oftentimes love, I have this book, it actually lays out all the parables of Jesus inside of it and all the interactions with Jesus. And if you go in, what you see is a consistent person. That's one of the most refreshing things about my Lord and Savior today is consistency. It's actually one of the defects of character that most of us suffer from. Sometimes in the morning, you're not sure what you're going to get from some people, right? Uh, uh, before a cup of coffee or after a cup of coffee, you're still not really batting a thousand with them, okay? I'm trying to figure out this thing, though, where Jesus, one of the strongest traits that he always brought to the table was somebody who was consistent. You never had to guess where he was coming from or you never really had to wonder. That's why I was often so confused at why the disciples were always thrown off track by his responses. I think that inside of this passage today, we're going to get to pull out some of the traits that might apply to us inside of our situations. Let's pray. Father God, I love you. This morning, I thank you for Reach Church, God. Thank you for Pastor Heath. I thank you for the folks who showed up here this morning hungry looking for something that could help them unpack whatever situation that they're going for. Uh, God, I've, I've never met anyone who comes to you on a winning streak in life, God. So that means I know that everybody in here has a need. And the reason that they showed up here today is because there's some kind of belief inside of them, whether it's small or whether it's great, that you can fill that need. So today, as I look out amongst these people, I just want to speak life into their spirit. Let's turn their receivers on today that my, they might be able to see past me to hear directly from you. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Mark chapter 2 and verse 1. And I want to share with you something that's probably very common and you guys have probably read before. It says, And again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together so that there's no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, and when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let him down in which the paralytic was lying. Look, there's a crowd that had gathered today because Jesus had already started to gain some kind of momentum, right? Some kind of what a man was capable of doing with no business card or IP address. Anybody else amazed by that? I mean, how in the world did they hear about this guy with no social media floating around? I'm telling you. But today, he has actually maxed out this house's capacity. And even people in the front yard are blocking the way to the door. So you find these four men who are ready to actually fight through what exists to block Jesus. Now, this is frustrating because today in the church, we have a really good crowd here today. It's a beautiful group. And actually, I was able to come visit you guys. You guys normally have a really good crowd. I've come a couple times to the church. And you guys have a beautiful congregation without the troops that showed up today. I'm telling you that it's interesting. Most pastors, 
crave one thing inside of their church. You know what that is? Bodies in the seats. I'll say it a different way. Cheeks in the seats. It rhymes. They claim they want. I mean, they want a crowd. They want people to show up. They want people to be here to hear the work. Did you know that out of all the times that a crowd was mentioned in the Bible, that not once was it mentioned in a positive context? It's interesting because a crowd is always referenced as the thing that's blocking Jesus from what he was actually set out to do for that day. And isn't it so interesting that oftentimes the things that we crave as great God followers of believers in Jesus Christ is oftentimes the thing that might be blocking him off from doing his best work in our lives. The things that we seek after, the things that we want for our life, the relationships that we want to keep, the positions that we want to have in life, or even the situations that we want to attach ourselves to. Anybody else see this? Oh, my bad. Y'all won't invite me to come back. Sorry about that. I'll put it back away. Didn't mean to hit you where it hurt with that. I'm just, that telephone. Think about how many times what's on that phone keeps you from getting what you came to do. Somebody's looking at it this morning. Let me find you. Uh oh. The thing that you want, the thing that you want, the thing that you crave, the thing that everybody's rooting for, the thing that makes it look like God's work is really being done, is oftentimes the thing that's setting you off from getting what He wants you to hear. Today you get to see that inside of a much broader scope, a much broader perspective. The crowd. Jesus was set out on an ordained mission that day. He knew what was coming for him and he knew what the interaction was about to be. And the thing that most people crave is oftentimes the thing that gets in the way. The thing that so many celebrate is oftentimes the thing that blocks us off from what should really be celebrated. The, the men who are bringing him, they take this man who needs to be healed. You see that inside of the test. He takes this man and they overextend themselves to get him to the miracle. It's amazing to me, and this is the concept that I want to apply to myself with this. They could have known and seen what Jesus had done many times before, but instead they took the time for themselves, all four of them, and they believed for something that they couldn't see for someone else. For someone else. What did I say in the beginning? It's hard to believe for you. There's a fellow who came to the recovery center few years ago, and he was pretty much a negative Nancy. Anybody know what that is? Sorry if your name's Nancy. You could be a positive Nancy, I'm not sure. He was a negative Nancy, all right? Just really whatever conversation you tried to have with him, I mean, not even Snickers could get him to pick it up. He was really sad, man. And honestly, if you listen to his life, I get it. You know what I mean? Like what he's been through and the struggles that he's been through. And he had a hard time because he showed up to us, as so many do, as I did, really not because he was excited to jump on the Jesus train. He showed up to us because we're one of the only free rehabs in the state and he had no other options. I'm okay with that. Um, I would be up here lying to you if I said that I stepped foot in the doors of the rehab center with the best of intentions. Like, yeah, Jesus, I'm ready to turn it all over to you. No, I didn't do that. I was honestly stepping foot into the rehab program because of lack of, lack of resources and trying to, I guess, lay low long enough to get my parents back up in my hip pocket, right? Praying for another startup package. Great God. 
Thank you. Y'all know about them parent startup packages, don't you? They get you another car, another house. Oh, you're going to do it differently this time. Thank you, Jesus. So like another startup package. That, I don't, so he probably didn't have the best of intentions. The problem is, is that because he didn't really want or believe that the best of intentions, he was a skeptic. He was very skeptical. And he didn't really have that belief that might have been necessary inside of him to actually be fruitful, especially in the beginning stages. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? If you get your head in the wrong space in week two, you're going to have a, a, a hard month too. Hello? you got to set yourself on the sights. And once you get yourself, they came up and he, I just can't buy into all this stuff. I just can't believe it. I just can't buy into all this stuff. I said, oh, that's okay. You don't need to believe it. You, you don't need to buy into nothing. Matter of fact, I'm not selling anything. That's good news, ain't it? I'm, I'm not selling anything. You don't have to believe nothing. You don't have to buy into nothing. But wait a minute, wait a minute. Do you believe that I believe it? And he looked at me kind of like one of those dogs who doesn't understand what's going on. Like had to process, run that back. I said, no, no, wait. Do you believe that I believe? You see all this effort we went through for you? Like all of this structure that we set up just to get you here? Do, do you you got to believe that I believe it or else who in the world would go through all this trouble? And then he goes, yeah, I guess you believe it. I said, that's great news because guess what? My belief is big enough for the both of us. See, I'm not saying anything that I made up. Jesus was talking about that kind of stuff 2,000 years ago. I'll show you a little bit more of it when we get there. There's this concept, though, where these guys, man, they picked up the heavy load and they started pushing. They started fighting through the crowd, the thing that had set opposition against everything that the man was supposed to achieve for his life that day. And they decided to find him. They pushed through a crowd. They get him up on the roof. They start tearing into this roof. Man, that's horrible news for the homeowner. They start lowering him down in there. But I'm telling you, that's what trying looks like. That's what trying to carry someone's load, trying to be an ambassador. And I, yeah, I'm frustrated with things oftentimes because how quickly oftentimes I'll say I tried something whenever there's so many examples of what trying actually looks like. There's a Toyota factory seven years ago. I just remember this. There's a Toyota factory seven years ago. Uh, I remember they had gotten into trouble where they had produced like 27,000 cars or something, some unreasonable number like that. And they all had malfunctions in the door. And there was a supply chain worker who had moved through and watched all of these doors be processed the wrong way over like a month and a half period. All of these doors that were coming through the assembly line. The, the assembly line worker had one job, was to click the switch to make sure the switch was working. As it went down the line, literally her job was to stand there all day and go, make sure the locks on the, on the doors were working on every panel that went there. And when she was brought in for her review because they figured out that 27,000 vehicles now had bad, faulty doors on them, do you know what she said? Well, I tried to tell someone about it. And they said, you tried? Well, what did that look like? She said, I sent an email. Try harder, they said. Like, just go push the big red button that says stop the assembly line. Whatever you got to do. But oftentimes we're stuck inside of that mindset where we think we've tried well enough. We've tried. It's it. To maximize your effort is what Jesus is looking for in you. And I don't mean you have to be perfect. I just mean that he's looking for something inside of you that doesn't look a close second to sleeping in the bed. Hello? 
He's, he's looking for something inside of you that actually looks like a push to achieve what he's put inside of your fruitful, fruitful life to achieve. He's given each one of us a vision. And he's given each one of us this tool, this mission to be ambassadors to his kids. That's what it's really all about. Oh, I hope you all already knew that. That's really what it's all about. It's about being ambassadors to his kids today. And how many times do we slough it off just to go, I tried? We do this in relationships. People, there's some kind of resentment, some kind of friction that you're going through with another person. And it's been three years. And they go, man, are you guys still not talking to each other? Well, I tried to set things right with them. But what did that look like? I, I texted them, Happy Thanksgiving, three years ago. Like, I was counseling a, for some of the fellows who graduate and they're married. Sometimes I'll do a few sessions with them and their wife if they ask me to. And they had come back to me six months later and they had told me that they were going to follow through and getting a divorce. I was really sad to hear it. But there was, it's, it's frustrating because... They were leading up to divorce, and when they sat down to make their list of all of the reasons why they thought a divorce was a good idea, they really drew a blank. And, and what the problem is, is that all of the issues that they actually were having with each other were so petty and small that they were embarrassed to write them down. Anybody understand what I'm talking about? They were actually so insignificant, you know, the way her voice sounds at 6 a.m. or, you know, things like that. It got, got this thing, though, where I asked them to actually confront their smallness, their pettiness, their lack of effort. And I'm saying, so you're telling me that you're not willing to commit yourselves to a plan to overcompensate these defects that are tearing you at the shreds. They said, well, we tried. Try harder. Don't don't quit now. Don't give up now. Try hard. Go push through the crowd. Bob and weave. Get to the roof. Rip the roof off of it. Build some kind of mechanism to lower the guy down. Get your butt in front of Jesus and try harder. Give a go at it. You get to see this thing in the text today. The fellow gets to be plopped right in front of Jesus just because he ran into some of God's kids who said, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to try harder. Some of these boys don't have a lot of quit in them. Man, what a special trait to have. Just to not even understand the word, I don't quit. If you've determined it's an appropriate course of action, if you've determined that it's the best course of action he would want you to take today, you know what, i got some great advice for you. Try harder. No matter what you meet, no matter what you face, if you believe he set you to do it, there is no quit in you. It goes, try harder. Whoever it is, whatever the situation is. Check this out in verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, whose faith? When Jesus saw their faith, whose faith? When Jesus saw the four ride-or-die homies that rolled him up to the roof to, to completely commit a felony, I think. Was it a felony back then? Wait, destruction of property over $5,000, right? I mean, it was a felony, y'all. So, when Jesus saw the felon's faith, hey, amen. <laughs> when Jesus saw the felon's faith, he said to the Pilaric, son, your sins are forgiven. Now check this out. Where were the felons at? They were up on the roof. The paralytic was in front of him. So the paralytic, the man that he's supposed to heal, is right here in front of him. But he's looking up at the roof. 
Jesus always asks this question all the time. He says, how did this person get here? Because he knows that nobody does it alone. He's looking up at the roof. Most people wouldn't even be concerned about how he got there. But he looks up at the roof and he says, because of y'all four felons up there, this man's about to get his life changed today. It matters who you come into close proximity with. It matters who you're willing to put effort in. When Jesus saw their faith, they said, it's all about the men and their effort of faith. Don't tell me today that your faith can't help somebody. It goes on to say, and some of the scribes were sitting there. Uh, Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes who were sitting there, reasoning in their hearts, judging in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about the things in your own hearts? Which is easier to say to a paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or do you say, arise, take up your bed and walk? But that you know, may know that I am the Son of Man that has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Would the praise team come up for me, please? I get myself into this dialogue where this is the most encouraging piece of the scripture. He's met by these men, these scribes, these experts. You better be careful what you think you know well enough, is all I'm saying. Because they know well enough about the Bible. And oftentimes, your own worst enemy, uh, let's say it like this. How many of you guys can understand if I say, that oftentimes cynicism presents itself in our hearts as pre-manufactured wisdom. That's tough, ain't it? They felt wise in their own hearts. Now here's what's scary. They didn't say anything about it. I can tell what you're thinking. You know what I'm saying? Like That's scary, right? Jesus didn't hear them say anything. Instead, he understood what they felt inside of their hearts and you know what they felt wise but you know what their wisdom created cynicism they were skeptics and they said who is this man to come in here and forgive sins this is blasphemy I love that Jesus didn't respond you know what he does instead he heals the man But he doesn't tell the man to dance in front of the Pharisees. What does he tell him to do? Hey, kid, get out of here. There's nothing better to speak to a skeptic with than the proof that's in the pudding. That's what we as believers are supposed to be. We're supposed to be the people who walk, talk, act like what we preach. We're living examples of Christ and oftentimes they want to have a conversation with you and some of us aren't really good lawyers. Some of us don't have the ability to shoot at the hip in a conversation to convince someone to drink the Kool-Aid. Y'all know what I'm saying? It's a, hey man, I promise you this can happen for it. Hey, I, hey, take my word for it, man. If he did for me, he can do it for you type of thing. Come on, let me show you what the word says about it. Yeah, that's a, some of us ain't, we're not good like that. I'll tell you what we all can do. Live our life like the example of Christ so that other people go, wow, 
I don't know what they're tapping into, but they got something that I need. That's what this looks like. Jesus heals the man, tells him to pick up his mat and walk. He exits the room while the Pharisees sit there and feel right. Unbelievable. There's a fellow who checked into the rehab center. His name was Aaron. I uh, <laughs> I remember preaching my first sermon to Aaron. And uh, he showed up. He was there for the second day. I do chapel on Mondays. That's about six years ago. Aaron sat right on the second row. And I was preaching about God as a God of restoration. And he sat there right in front of me. And you kind of pick up on these things when you know, you're preaching. And he just went like this the whole time. He shook his head. No, wow, how encouraging. Thank you. That's so edifying. Thank you. It's great. Thank you. Wait, you're really making me get into it now. Wow. I feel like preaching now. He just sat there, man, and he had that thing on him. How many of y'all get that thing on you sometimes? He had that thing on him, and that thing was strong. And, hey, it's, why not? You know what I mean? Hey, why not? If you heard his story, you might have that thing on you too, but he just sat there. Should have said no. Should have said no. So I noticed it, and I noticed it well enough to come up and say, hey, man, what's it? You disagreed pretty strongly with that whole thing. You okay? He said, yeah, you just don't know my situation. He said, the last thing that my wife said to me was that we don't even want child support for the kids anymore. You just need to never contact us again. He said, so you can up there, you can stand up there and preach about God as a restoration, but it's not going to happen for me. You don't understand. I've done burnt them to the ground five times now. Made them, you know, it's hard because they make them think that everything's okay. You said you make your family think that everything's okay and then pull the rug out from underneath of them. They find out that little Johnny was back on the sauce for the past six months when you thought he was doing okay. That's, that's heartbreaking for families. So he wound up to me. Aaron, out of limited options, didn't have many places to go, so he stayed with us. I was sitting in my office one day and I got a phone call. He, uh, he was being served with papers to terminate his rights to his kids. And he was really frustrated about it um, because he said, man, how can she do this? How can she? I said, Aaron, what kind of father have you been to those kids? He said, I haven't been no kind of father. I said, that's your answer then. I said, you need to believe that God will show up when you've become the father that you're supposed to be. You have to believe it. That's a hard piece of advice to give. I might not be so bold in every situation, but I was feeling it that day, and I told him, you need to sign those papers. I said, if this is what she's asking you to do, and you haven't been filling that role, then you need to own up to what you've done. And he signs the papers. Guys, three months later, I got another call in my office. It was his ex-wife, and you know what his ex-wife says? Is it true that Aaron is going through an internship program there? I said, yeah, would you like to speak to him? And she said, no, 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 I don't want to speak to him. She said, would you just let Aaron know that his kids were asking about him and that they would like a call from him? Guys, goosebumps crept all over me that day. Like the Spirit of God crept into my office because I got to go out there and tell this kid who shook his head no through an entire restoration sermon that the entire time he was pouting about a situation, God was working on it. I called him into the office and I said, Aaron, your kids want to talk to you. I just laid it out there just like that. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, I mean that. Like, call your kids. They want to talk to you. He said, how do you know? And I said, your ex-wife called me. I, 
You ever seen a man melt in front of you? He did it that day. Let me tell you what else. Two months later, he was on the beach with his kids, taking them out for a beach day. His little girl won't call him dad at the time. Guess who has primary custody of his children today? He lives in Pender County. He came back and spoke to the folks at Celebrate Recovery not long ago. You guys know about Celebrate Recovery? He came back and spoke to the folks at Celebrate Recovery not long ago. And do you know what he stood up there and told everybody? About a God that he serves who is a God of restoration. That's what I see when I see this. The man who sat in the second row shaking his head no, saying there ain't no way, now shows up to try to convince you all that he can do it for you too. That's how sweet Jesus is. And that's what our expectation is. So today, while we sing, while we go through this closing song, you need to ask yourself, what keeps me skeptical against the things that God has called me to be and do? Would you stand to your feet, please? Thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, be sure to visit us online at reachcommunitychurch.com.